Welcome to Risk Check Podcast, everybody. We're here with a special episode, one that we're super excited for. We have uh, Edward Nalen, CEO of H. Moser and C. How are you doing, Ed? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy you finally made it happen. We've been talking about it for a while, finally doing it. Um, yeah. Before that we get into all the details and stuff, Risk Check, what are you wearing? Oh, I should have taken another one, but uh, I'm wearing a streamliner. I can't okay. really show you the face because uh, I'm uh-huh. testing something that is, uh, yeah, for the, we for the new, near future. A new dial? Uh, may, maybe. We're trying different things. We, we Unfortunately, uh, we will have to um, discontinue the um, the Green Dragon, as we know it, uh-huh. uh, at the end of 2022. Okay. We're not going to produce it in 2023. So um, we're trying different things for the future, uh, different movements, different dials, different Things we want to so, we got, so we're getting a, a risk check podcast first. We're getting a teaser of a watch. <laughs> I'm going to send a letter tomorrow and to announce it. So oh, okay. I don't think you're going to post it by tomorrow. <laughs> we won't post it by tomorrow, but I'm gonna, when I'm this gonna, comes I'm, out. I'm, I'm going to announce that we, we're stopping the, 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 the Green Dragon for now, but I'm not okay. going to say that what we might launch instead because I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean you'll figure it out. I'm sure. I you. don't even know if we're going to launch something instead. Oh, wait. To replace it, we might have. We have so many things in the pipeline that it's going to be fun enough. Yeah, we have option overload back at the factory. Too many good things happening. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a good place to be in right now because there's uh, we we are, I mean the demand is quite it's quite high. I think for all yeah. brands, oh, so it sure. gives us a little bit of more flexibility to postpone launches to be really two hundred percent ready. Yeah. There's a couple of cool things that we wanted to launch this year, and we said listen, it's a nightmare uh, already to deliver what we have committed. So let's not mm-hmm. copy, make yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the uh, stuff the stuff that you already produce is so limited in high demand because you guys yeah. produce so few numbers compared to most other companies. So anything new is going to be even crazier. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, and, and, and that's why, I mean, at some point, of course, we say luxury, you know, demand has to exceed uh, the offer, but at sure. some point it creates too much frustration. So we need to be yeah. careful with that. Yeah. All right. So we, we jump in the gun a little bit. Ed. Before we go into everything else, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, we know you've been involved in the watch industry since, I mean, for a long time. So tell us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, pretty much forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not always actively, but uh, no, I was born uh, in, uh, in a family where watches is the main topic at, uh, at the t- dinner table mm-hmm. uh, since I was born. I was born in the Valley du Jour. So if you're familiar yeah. with the watch industry, that's where... Audemars Piguet, Breguet, Blancpain, Gégère Le Coult, yeah. many of those amazing manufacturers are, are based. And uh, it's a small valley up in the uh, in the mountains in Switzerland with 6,000 people living there. Yeah. But actually more than 6,000 people working in the watch industry. So yeah, exactly. People coming to, uh, or to, the, to this kind of high-end watchmaking hub uh, every day to, to work on watches. So all my friends, when I, as I grew up, the, the people in my family, they were all working in the watch industry. We have um, a few generations of watchmakers in the watch industry. Actually, the the Melon, uh, my last name is uh, is quite famous in the watch industry as well. It's okay. the Melon brand. I mean, uh, Hodinki did an amazing article on the subject recently, talking about uh, Melon and how it impacted the. I think Mr. Melon made the most complicated watch ever made in the U.S. Oh wow! Uh, and there was a there was a, an, an amazing article on the subject recently. What? We were super proud. My father was so proud about it. What exactly was the watch? Um, it's a it's a great grand complication from uh, uh, Charles Henri Melon, um, which was made in uh, early tw- uh, 20th century. That's the most complicated watch known uh, produced in the U.S. Well, wow, that's crazy. 
So what what about the U.S. growth and manufacturing here for the Marilyn watch brand? Well, I think this well, Charles-Henri Mélon was, uh, I mean, it was one of the three big brands at that time. There was uh, it was Patek Philippe and, and Omar Piguet. The two others survived. Unfortunately, the Mélon brand yeah. didn't. The Great Depression came, came there and not everybody survived, but um, it was known for producing amazing movements, a lot of patents. Um, and um, made a lot of movements. At that time, the, the, the way the, the industry was structured, there were a few great manufacturers and then brands would use the movement. So Tiffany, for example, would use the, the Melon movement. Um, so he was kind of uh, one of those masters and, uh, and established, uh, was very strong in the US market. Yeah. So your family obviously had a history here in the US. Is that how you ended up in Philly? Because that's a long way. <laughs> that's a long way from the Valley Jew. <laughs> Yeah, that's a long way from the Valley du Joux. But I, I mean, I didn't go direct from the Valley du Joux to uh, to Philly. But uh, no, I I, um, I started. I'm I'm an engineer. Uh, I had a master of uh, engineering from uh, from the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, and then I I worked in consulting for a few years, trying to break away from this family tradition of sure. watchmaking. But yeah, and they pulled you, know, you back. Born, it, just three years later, I was back in the industry. I started working in Asia. Uh, distributing uh, independent brands uh, yeah. based in, in Kuala Lumpur. It was a great experience, but as an engineer, I felt, you know, I need a, I need a, a more, I'm somebody who, um, who feel learning by doing is very important, but I, I like to have like strong frameworks. So I decided to do an MBA and that's how I went to Walton to do my uh, MBA. Uh, it's been almost 20 years now, 15 years. Yeah. So you joined so that's how Moser, I ended up in Phoebe. Yeah. You, and you joined Moser in 2013, correct? Yeah, we acquired with my uh, with my brother and my father, well, my family in 2012, exactly 10 years ago. We were okay. now in the process of studying the project uh, exactly 10 years ago. And then in September, October 2012, we acquired um, the majority. And then uh, I started working in the background. I was lucky enough that uh, there was somebody in charge of doing the dirty work because the, the brand was going bust. Um, sure. So we had to clean, we had to reduce number of people we had to sell a lot of assets we had to clean everything so i was more in the background there and somebody else doing the the uh, very um, difficult work and then i um, i took over the role as ceo in um, i think it was march 2020 2013 uh, when we started really rebuilding once the the base was a little bit cleaner there was still a lot of cleaning to be done but yeah. it was less about unfortunately laying off people and uh, selling assets yeah, so being having a, a background in engineering and you know having your master's in that field, when you took over Moser, how did that affect your thought process in terms of what you wanted to see from watchmakers and designers and your own engineers? I think that's useless, to be honest. I think, <laughs> I think there it's it's really about God's feeling. It's really I think the first step was really to try to understand what is the. Um, I mean, when you acquire a brand, you need to understand. My idea was really try to understand what your predecessors has done have done that is that is good and 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 you want to keep otherwise you better start with with something new and i could have done yeah. the melon brand instead so we said okay what's what's interesting in there what is the philosophy how do we build from there and then once that was kind of something i understood then i'm trying to try to really feel what can we bring that is more more me or more us as a team yeah. uh, together with my brother my the, the core team that we built around us here and and slowly build on that. So the first step was really trying to um, to understand. And really, my my engineering and finance and and whatever background it didn't help much. It was more about you know trying to understand where is the market going in terms of um, you know its subtle aspects. You know, are we going more complicated? Are we going more simple? What is why why is there a Moser brand out there? 
I mean, yeah. there's hundreds of brands. So why do we need another one? A lot of people looked at that brand and said, you know, it's it's a it's a lost cause. There's no point uh, trying to save this brand anyway. There are too many others that are way better. And then um, and then we took nevertheless the risk as a family and saying, you know, this is a huge investment for us. So let's let's make something good out of it. But how and what? Right. And, uh, to be honest, when we invested, we had no clue. So my first the first phase was really get away of the fr- from the frameworks, try to understand what makes this brand unique, try to get this unique um, design, this unique philosophy, and then build on top of it, bringing then your own sense, your own philosophy. Yeah. So a good piece of advice is if you want to get into watches, don't get a degree in engineering. <laughs> well, afterwards, afterwards, <laughs> is, I mean, now, I mean, after when you start working with the teams and then you say, listen, yeah. guys, we're going to do this and you need to question them. I like the idea of having a very holistic perspective on the business. I, you know, I studied and worked in business, in uh, finance, in and sales, in marketing uh, as an engineer, so I can have discussions with every, anybody in my team and challenge them. Of course, they're better right. than me in all those different subjects. When I talk to my CFO, he's a better finance guy. When I talk to the marketing uh, manager, she's way better than me in understanding like all those ideas of, of digital marketing, but I can ask the questions and I can challenge you and I can also right. uh, have constructive dis- discussions as a sparing partner. And I believe as a CEO, you, 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 you kind of set a vision. You try to find the people who, are, who agree and, 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 and appreciate and, and, and build this vision with you. And then you, you, you bring the inputs. You need to, to throw the projects and put the energy behind the right things. Then you need the right people to understand and implement those things. So, right. um, yeah, it's uh, it's an adventure. So in the end, to start with, uh, to, to get an idea, I don't think you need a uh, you don't need always a, a business and engineering degree. But if you want to make it a success, then either you very smart self uh, taught, yeah. which I'm not, I don't have the confidence uh, to do that, or you need to have a, the right team to help you. Yeah, or you, yeah. But in, in my case, I need, I felt I needed to have the frameworks. And then the right team around. Yeah, I, I don't think it really matters what you're doing in life, but you need the right group of people, and like you said, you need the right team around you to really make it a success. Oh, definitely. For sure. And they, and it's it takes time. It's probably one of the most difficult thing because some people you believe are the right people, and they might be at a certain point, and then they might not be in the uh, in the, at the next in the next cycle right. of life of a brand. So it's it's not an easy task. Sometimes you need to uh, part from people that you appreciate as as people, but you don't feel they are the right people to, um, to grow the brand with you. So yeah, not, I think the, the human aspect is always the most difficult. Right. So let's get into the nitty gritty. You take over a CEO and you're like, we need to revive the brand. We need to rebrand. We need to, we need to essentially fix this. Right. Well, first we need to stop the bleeding because it was a lot of cash going out every, every month. And uh, we, as a family, we're not like one of those big groups. So we yeah. need to stop this bleeding. That's 2013 was all about like, how do you reduce the, the losses? Yeah. So what was the first thing that you did as CEO of Moser that was like, this has my DNA in it that you can remember? I mean, the, the first big thing was when we developed, um, I mean, there's different aspects. I mean, <clears throat> one aspect was really about the re-engineering and saying, well, there's no point selling watches that are not of the right quality, mm-hmm. uh, that are not reliable. So we need to go through re-engineering phases. And uh, that was something that we un- underestimated when we did the due diligence. And uh, t- 2013 was a lot of 
producing to replace movements from right. things that had been sold that didn't work. So that increases increased the loss because we were working on things that we couldn't sell. We were just using those things to replace things that right. our predecessors had done that were not at the level. Um, that was definitely the, fir the first phase. Then um, it was trying to find a, what is the, the, the message? What is the core message of Moser? What makes us as a brand different? And that's there we developed the very rare, which was something that we launched also in 2013 and is still today our motto and made a lot of people laugh because at that time everybody was writing since 1820 whatever our date right. is 1828 so i could have said swiss manufacturer since 1828 that would have been the easy way but we decided to go another way and we went with the very rare which was at that time a little bit controversial but uh is the cornerstone of everything we did since um and then it was the, the product aspect you look at the collection of moser a lot of the watches we're still selling today but we changed the, the we changed the, the the color of the dye. We started playing with the fumet, with colors, with materials, and a watch that was very classy, elegant, but boring ten years ago has sure. become a year or two years later very sexy. And yeah. that's where the, there was this that. click and creating this brand that today is seen a little bit. Well, I love. I would love to see it as kind of creating the bridge between traditional and modern watchmaking. You yeah. have on one side the Richard Mille and 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 MBNF of this world, and the other side, you have the uh, the Patek or Vacheron, and then we try to take the best of both worlds, and that's what I believe Moser is doing today. Yeah, no, I, I think you definitely do. From Moser is one of my favorite brands, and we talk about you guys often. Me at, too. Yeah, I hope so. We talk about you guys often here at Risk Check, and I know in my circle of friends, people are always like, "Yo, like the more traditional stuff, like they get it, but it's not really us." And then, like you said, the Richard Mill and, and MBNF, it's great, but it almost seems like it's too much. And I'm like, okay, well, look at Moser. And everyone's like, yeah, this is hot. Like, this does it. And like you said, it could be the simplest thing. You know, you can take, like, the heritage line and just give it a cool dial, and it, it just works. It changes the entire aesthetic, and you appeal to a whole new audience of people that maybe felt left out. But that's exactly the way we think every single product and every single line is heritage is inspired by the antique watches from our museum but at the mm -hmm. same time we bring global light and funky blue and global light is this modern ceramic technology yep. to put on the dial and then you look at the watch say like, oh okay i understand it's inspired by pocket watches but it's very cool at the same time yeah. that's exactly every time we create a product and we were looking at some new new products today and some we said no this is too traditional we let that to the other brands i mentioned before yeah. let them do those things because we want to make watches that we love to wear and that we are super right. excited to, uh, yeah, that, that really creates this tension. I mean, traditional, classic, elegant watch watchmaking doesn't have to be boring. And it's yeah. way too too often too boring. And it works with the older generation, maybe. Yeah. I think today people want something more, I, I would say, relevant to what... Yeah. what and it's also with. it's also fun from a brand perspective too it's like obviously you guys take yourself very serious as a business but from a consumer standpoint it doesn't look or feel that way right like yeah at the same time there's a strategy behind and you're right as a business of course when people say oh you you put a um an eraser on the on the dial this yeah. is this is really like pushing the boundaries but exactly i mean we're trying to send a message there and then there's a strategy about explaining what moser stands for and 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 making statements about our values and our philosophy and all those things and i think the people that can look 
behind the symbol and and the provocation, they understand what Moses stands for. Yeah. And again, we don't have to please everyone. I think too many brands try to be too democratic. And in the end, they please nobody. I think what we, yeah. we love to say is, yes, you cannot please everyone. Anyway, we make less than 2,000 watches a year. So we don't need millions of people to like what we do, but we need people to love and be excited and be surprised right. and be uh, about what we have created with Moser. And if it means some people being upset and, and, and going on social media behind their computer and insulting and saying it's the worst design they have ever seen, yeah. it's fine. I'll, I mean, we, I'll we, never we, understand we, that. Well, we, we, well, at the beginning, it's tough. A few years ago, the, the first year, I would... I was like, I was like looking at all those messages. I was on social media and trying to be on all fronts. And then I was like, when somebody destroy your idea in a very non-constructive way, it hurts. Yeah. And then slowly I realized that the more we get those kind of hate haters, the most watches we sell, then at some point you, you yeah. put it in perspective and you're like, I don't need to answer all those questions. Yeah. I don't need to justify myself. I think at the end of the day, if we want to create, we are, you know, we are a very small independent brand. And we need to be different. We need to stand out. We need to be true to our values and our opinion. We're activists. And, and there's, that's also a reason why we are, uh, there is a Moser out there. And, um, and suddenly then the entire community of people who actually love what we do started answering for us. So exactly. we don't have to do this dirty yeah. work. The product does it for you. The product and the people. Exactly. I remember when the Endivore uh, Perpetual Tutorial came out. A similar situation like that was going on. People were on Instagram and social media trying to bash it. And the first thing that came to my mind was, do you know how many people are going to ask whoever they buy that watch from how it works? The watch now tells you how to do that. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. But you know, a lot of people don't understand our perpetual calendar. Ten years, it's been 15 years we launched it. That was like the first assessment. Mm. And second is Moser philosophy is about all about minimalism. And some people, I mean, we have done it so much that some people don't see it anymore. How Moser, we're trying to go to the essence and try to get rid of everything. So the best way to do that is to go the opposite extreme and saying like, you know, let's put the entire blueprint, the, the, the instructions booklet on the dial, which exactly. some brands, some brands do. Yeah. To some extent, it says chronometer, 160 meter uh, water resistance, Swiss made, uh, yep. cost certified. The plus kind the of brand. movement, certification. I'm like, just put the, next time you yeah. should put the price on it. Maybe that's a good idea. I should put the price Look, on the dial. There you Maybe go. <laughs> we should do, you should do that. Now, now next is uh, you're putting prices on dials. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, that could be a good provocation. Also. Maybe for the next Dreamliner, the one you're wearing. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you do it, do it in red, though. That's my touch. Yeah. But the price in red. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. The price strikes through and puts a higher price. Exactly. You just cross it out and put a more expensive one. Um, so, Bitcoins. no Bitcoin. We don't want that right now. It's no good. Uh, if for Sean was no idea what the value will be tomorrow. Yeah. Just whatever you do, don't mention the metaverse. Shout out to Rashawn. <laughs> um, so, speaking about you know, all the crazy, more whimsical stuff that you do. You mentioned the Watch with the Eraser. That was a collaboration or with Second Second, correct? Yeah. What, what brought that about? And can you speak to us more about how the Undefeated uh, collab also happened? Because that's sure. kind of my real introduction to being around like a Moser activation for something like that. And that was a great time. Sure. So let's start with Second Second. So Romaric André is the, um, is the artist behind Second Second. He's a French guy based in Paris. Crazy guy uh, that I know for about 15 years now. And, yeah. um, and what we know from 
business we had together before. And then he started the second second, and I followed what he was doing. And then I saw all his Zenith, Rolex, and kind of uh, uh, transformation of vintage watches that he was doing, and uh, always with a message behind. Again, Moser is about messages. He had always like tried to reinterpret the product, try to make it relevant, even though they might be um, you know 70 years old, 40 years old, yeah. whatever. And it was always about big brands. And one day I said, you know, uh, why don't you, I would love to see what would be your take, your philosophy of what you think Moser stands for and, and what is our philosophy. And um, he said, but what do you want? I said, I don't want anything. I want one idea. Don't pitch me three ideas, pitch me one idea. Mm-hmm. And then we do it. And, uh, and then he came, he came with the areas and said, you know, for me, Moser is about trying to go, in, to, go to the minimum and, and like, like, you know, and, and it's one of the most difficult thing. You, you, when you do a design and you, you want to make it, minimalistic and as perfect as possible, you erase and start again, which is a difficult process. Some people, I mean, it's, as we always say, it's more difficult to make something simple than complicated. Right. And that was his representation, his philosophy. And, and then we, we went for it. We did it. We did it together with the um, art piece um, that he created and made that special edition. And we thought, you know, 20 pieces would be a, a difficult sell because, you know, do people understand what, what stands behind that? And sure. we, we launched it again to, as part of a, of a campaign that we did about what Moser stands for, the idea of every watch is an art piece. We don't put our logo on it. Um, we, we want the product to talk by itself. We should recognize the Moser for its design, for its details, for its subtle details, um, and not because it says Moser on it. Right. And, uh, and that's what he expressed with his art. And, and that's why it's been um, something that we feel brought the, the brand forward. And a lot of people understand better what Moser stands for thanks to that. And that's why we do those drops, those ideas. And we like to explore new new territories. So we, we started uh, doing collaborations a few years ago with uh, MBNF, which is a different segment of our industry, much mm-hmm. more like, as you said, more UFO type of, kind of yeah, products. Sure. An open new world for us in the third dimension, which we are exploring now with our current collection. Then we did a collaboration with an artist like uh, like uh, Romaric. We did a, then this year we wanted to talk about um, uh, fa- to do collaborations in fashion. We did something with the Armory, which is more like very classic. Um, yeah, that, that was more super tra- more traditional for Moser, I would say for sure. Yeah, but with a with a, also with a, with an edge. I mean, what Mark uh, and his team are doing, Marcho from uh, the Armory is quite in- incredible, and it's one segment of one part of the spectrum of Moser, and we like to play on the all spectrum. So we went that way and said, we created a very small, very thin, Vanta Black, smaller watch in Endeavor, huge success. And then we said, we want to show the other spectrum. And a couple of years ago, when Eric Cheng, one of the owners and CEO of, um, of Undefeated, reached out to me and said, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Moser. I've been collecting the Streamliner chronograph, even though we just launched it. It was, we already yeah. had two of the first edition. <laughs> Um, I, I, and he said, well, uh, do you really answer your emails when I send to info at, and actually I did. And then we started discussing and then we had a, a few Zoom calls to get to know each other because I like what he does. Yeah, of course. And then we said, why don't we do something together? And to be honest, what I had in mind at that time, and it's going to make people laugh and say, this is ridiculous, but the same way I see like Patek doing a, a collaboration with Tiffany, for example, that sure. for, for years has been going on. I feel like Undefeated could have been or could be Moser Stephanie, where we have like sure. this kind of, as part of our collection, this small curated number of watches every year yeah. or every second year or whatever that are made with a special design uh, that is different, pushing the boundaries. Again, we, when we start a brand like Moser, we're talking to a very small circle of very, very knowledgeable collectors. Right. And all the brands are talking to the same people. So my strategy from day one was 
let's get out of this. Let's continue to talk to those people, but let's get to 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 get as many people as possible to understand what is independent watchmaking, creativity in our world, and and get to kind of educate them about uh, high end independent watchmaking. And all those activities we, we did were to try to go further in, in that world. When we did the Swiss Alp watch, we certainly, Moser was present in the tech, you know, in the tech media, like uh, Gizmodo yeah. and Gadget and those. I mean, a lot of people were like, a watch for $20,000? This is crazy. I didn't yeah. even know there were watches at that price. And they're probably not even as accurate as a, as a smartphone. It's, it's true. But at the same time, all those people discovered high-end watchmaking. And with Undefeated, it's a huge community way beyond the people who can afford our watches. But so many of them collect, I mean, so many of, of the of my collectors today collect uh, sneakers as well. And especially yeah, from Undefeated, I, I, think I didn't know do. that. It was, it was crazy. Some, so many people told me, like, I started collecting with sneakers. And then I moved to watches. And I've been traveling quite a lot this, uh, this recent uh, week since we, we launched. And everywhere in the world, on the West Coast, in the U.S., of course, but also all over Asia, everybody has been talking about this, this collaboration. And we didn't expect it. We did uh, 76 watches and they were gone very, very quickly. 76 watches and wall clocks. And, and wall clocks. We did and a few wall more clocks. wall clocks for the, okay. some people that were frustrated not to get, we did a few more wall clocks, but we did also the hoodies. We tried to do, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite common in, uh, in, the, in, the, in this kind of uh, streetwear industry to create like a whole Yeah, you have the apparel capsule around everything, right. Yeah, also, so we have the hoodie, um, we have the t-shirts, we have the, the jacket. We have yeah, the I'm going to say now that undefeated Moser hoodie is the most comfortable hoodie I own, hands down. It <laughs> will be, be a staple it's, in the it's a winter wardrobe. Yeah, I mean, if you're in AC, sure, yeah. but outside, no, you're going to melt. Um, Ed, I think we, we're coming to, a, to an end here. Um, this has been a great time. Very happy to have you on. And so honestly, it's, it's too short. So we got to do it again. Full podcast. Uh, with pleasure. We'll schedule it. Any, anytime, let me know. Um, yeah, we have quite a lot of new launches in the next few weeks, months. And uh, yeah, very excited. Well, look, we'll, so look, anytime, at, be ready. At Risk Check, we'll be all over. I'll be all over it. I'll be posting everything you guys post, writing captions about it. I love the stuff. So the coverage will be good. Don't worry about it. Thank you so much. All right, sir. Thank you. Enjoy your day. We'll talk soon. And take care.